Okay, guys, welcome to the very first edition of this interview series. All right, we're going to start off with our first guest. He's played for Pembroke for quite a while. Uh, he wears the number one jersey. He is a goalkeeper. Um, he's got 20 Irish caps to his name. He's just come back from a stint in Rotterdam playing professionally. Uh, his name is Mark Ingram, most well known by the name Iggy. Welcome, Mark. Thank you very much, Simon. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Thanks for doing this for us. Um, so we'll dive straight into it. Uh, I suppose you've got quite a quite a decorated career at this stage, or not many people of your age that have, have played professionally around the place, got international caps um, and all that has come with it. Maybe you just uh, go into a bit of your background starting off, um, maybe early days of how you got into hockey um, and how you've come to where you are. So early doors, I would have, I would have played hockey since I was five, six, seven. Uh, my parents would have been quite big into it. So they kind of pushed me into doing it. And I played cricket and hockey and railway for years since, since about the age of six. So I, I enjoyed hockey throughout. I played every other sport you can think of and I just stuck with hockey. So I really, really enjoyed playing hockey. And thankfully my parents supported me and helped me continue it because it's not something that's cheap to do uh, so they helped me all the way through and I, I went to a, a school that didn't play hockey which worked out in the end for me but uh, being able to play club really really helped me all the way through. Did you find because you obviously went to Outlands there in Stillorgan did you find there was a big pull on the other sports and did you have to fight to stay with the hockey or was it kind of always a thing that you knew that you wanted to really, really go for? Um, yeah, like when, when I was probably, early, when I was younger, probably in my early teens, I definitely felt the pull to play other sports, like, because I would have played Gaelic, football, rugby. So in around 12, 13, all my friends were playing football or Gaelic because most of my friends weren't from hockey, they were from school. So obviously I went off to play hockey and they went off to play football. So I, de I definitely felt the pull the other way. But luckily, as I went through, like hockey just worked out for me and I was able to get in to the under 14 development squad in Leinster at the time. So that gave me something that I achieved and it really gave me the hunger to keep going at hockey, even though I didn't play it in school, which I'm actually glad I didn't in the end because I was able to play every other sport during the week. And then at the weekend, I got to play hockey. So I feel bad if I played hockey in school and played it at the weekend, it might not have been as, as enjoyable for me. And I can look back now and say that I tried every other sport. I gave it enough time. I enjoyed it. I look back on it feeling that I've accomplished most sports and I enjoyed playing them all. But obviously hockey won out overall. So Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because I think we've had a few conversations ourselves throughout the years behind behind the goal where I think I, I would have said that I was an example of the, the kid that was just obsessed with hockey and did it in school, did it in club, did it everywhere. But I didn't allow the room for other sports to get in. And I think that has always limited my ability as, as a player. But something that, how do you feel? Like, do you think playing multi-sport for as long as you did as well? Like you didn't just, you didn't just play it up till you're like 10 and then quit. Like you're playing all the way through secondary school. How do you feel the, that multi-sport sort of uh, aspect to your to your sort of sporting career has helped your goalkeeping 
um, throughout throughout your playing time? I think it's helped drastically. Uh, so, I yeah, I think playing every sport you can when you're younger is really important because every sport has different skills that you can learn through it. So, whether it's football, you can learn to kick the ball properly, etc. So, like, I would have played hurling as well, which really helped with my hand and eye coordination. I would have played cricket up till about the age of 18 at a high level. And I think that really, really stood to me with uh, my reactions, et cetera, that helped me in my goalkeeping career, for, for sure. So, yeah, I, I'd encourage everybody to play as much sports as you can until it gets to the point that you can't. And I didn't necessarily choose to start playing other sports. I kind of, my hand was forced a little bit with, I just didn't have the time with my training schedule to keep any of those sports up. But I kept them all up till I left secondary school. And then when I left secondary school, that's probably when I took hockey on as a full-time role. But up till then, I was able to like play at a good level at all the other sports. And I really enjoyed it. And I, I really, really think it stood to me, especially just you, you need to understand the game as well. And by playing different sports, you understand different types of games. And it all can lead into you having a greater understanding of the game you want to succeed in i think that's a huge lesson especially if there's any any younger people that watch this um i think that's a really wise uh way to look at things um and like speaking from experience watching you play you had a quick stint in indoor and you just see that's where like your your ability to sort of um translate different skills from your different sports into making you a, a more rounded athlete like you jumped in how often do you play outfield not very often pretty sure you're our top goal scorer now i'm not 100 percent sure how much that says about our pembroke indoor team but it certainly shows something when you're in the top what 13 goals 14 goals something like that in the whole whole season like you weren't just our best goal scorer you're one of the best goal scorers in the in the leinster league so there's a there's some great examples of of how that sort of has translated across. And then in your goalkeeping, I know personally from like watching you play, some of the athleticism that comes across in your game, you can only get that from playing the likes of hurling. Like you said, your your hand-eye coordination from cricket, like you see a lot of that in some of your game. And it's it uh I, I think the proof is in the pudding almost in in what you're saying of how it has contributed across. So that's huge. So we'll take it on a little bit then. So you played obviously multi-sport growing up. You mentioned you were in railway across the tracks. Uh, did a brief stint there myself. Um, maybe you could tell us if you want to. Uh, what sort of made you made the change to come and become a, a Pembroke player? Because I know that is always a contentious decision, having made it the other way myself. Yeah, like um, I left railway when I was about seventeen, and I was in my leaving search year, so. There's a lot of pressure on me outside of hockey. So it, it really boiled down to that. I was, I was still very young and looking back now, mentally maybe wasn't ready to be a first-team goalkeeper. Although at the time, I would have told you I was. But ability-wise, I thought I was there or thereabouts. And at, the, at that moment in time, I was looking to push on and I wanted to push forward. And I think every athlete wants that. And I just found that... It, there wasn't the room for me to continue growing in railway, unfortunately. So an opportunity came up and I actually went to Monkstown for half a season where I was given the opportunity to play a few first, first team games, which was, was all I want. 
did. And that opportunity came up and I grabbed it with both hands. And at the end of the day, I'm really glad I did because I think that really it fueled the fire for me to like really want to push on. And I, I found first team hockey something that was a challenge and I wanted to keep pushing forward at that. And then luckily, obviously in Monkstown, you had Dave Fitzgerald, who's obviously a top goal top quality goalkeeper and I was only an 18 year old kid so I wasn't going to be a first team goalkeeper there either but they obviously gave me the opportunity to play some games so luckily Pembroke at the time were looking for a goalkeeper and they offered me the chance to to be a first team goalkeeper and I'm so glad that I moved to Pembroke it's genuinely the best club I've been part of and it's genuinely one of the best decisions of my life being able to to go there and then give the opportunity and Paddy Conlon at the time was the guy who got me in and look it it worked out it gave me the opportunity I got into the Irish squad soon after so it allowed me to grow and gave me such an opportunity and it opened so many doors for me and I couldn't be more thankful towards Pembroke for giving me those opportunities. That's huge. And um, you mentioned then, obviously, it was sort of a doorway into into your Irish career. Um, did you come up through the underage system the whole way through? Um, was it like seamless transition from one to the other? Or or was there some time out in the cold? Maybe tell us a little bit about how your sort of journey went there. Uh, yeah, er- early on at underage, it was definitely not seamless. It was... Uh, so I, I didn't, my first year I went for under 16 Leinster, I actually got dropped and I got dropped for being too short. So that's literally what happened. I was, I, uh, I was way too short at the time. And uh, my second year then I got selected for Leinster. I was still very short, but I don't think there was many other options. But I was able to, once I made that Leinster in the 16 team, I got onto the Irish team that year. Uh, at under 16 level and from there it kind of worked out all right because I had a good growth spurt there probably in fourth or fifth year in school and it allowed me then to contend with the the lads maybe a year or two older so I didn't and then yeah I made once I made that under 16 years so I played one year at under 16 and then I moved on to under 18 for two years and then from then on it was Obviously, I came up against some good goalkeepers at that, so I wasn't always first-choice goalkeeper. I played second-choice to Stephen West for a few years and stuff, who was a great goalkeeper at, at the time, a few years older than me, but I learned a lot off him. So it, it wasn't seamless, and it definitely... There was a few, a few times where I got hit back down, but other than that, it, I was able to play at all underage levels, which is, which is really a blessing. So And I really just playing at the underage and then you step up to the next age level and you see the standards step up year after year. And it, it was just a continuous ladder of, of just it getting harder and you want some and new challenges coming forward with every age you went up. So yeah, I, I'm really glad I got to experience that. And it led, it did lead me into, into my senior career. So, yeah. That's huge. Um, so I suppose, uh, you would have played, did you play 21s? Was there still 21s when you were playing? Yeah, I, I played, so my first year 21s, I think I was 18, and it was the first year they brought back the 21s, actually. And we played in the C Division in Bratislava. Okay. Uh, Glamorous. So Glamorous. It was, yeah, it was, 
it was an interesting year, but every year after that, I was able. So I played three years at under 21s and uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience. That under 21 team that we played in the C division, I think, I think out of the 18 squad, I think 11 had senior caps at the time. So that was for an 18 year old being able to play with all those guys was a great experience, even just training, even though the matches might have not been the highest standard, but just being in that environment and seeing the professionalism of the senior lads, being able to, that, that was a, a stepping stone for me to be able to go onto my next year at 21s and, and kind of become more of a senior player. And then on my final year at 21s, we won the, the B division then uh, to allow us to qualify for the A division the, two years later. Unfortunately, I was out of age then, but it was a great um, experience being able to start from the bottom, win the C division, and then two years later have the B division and then win that in Portugal. So, uh, yeah, it was it was maybe not the best 21s because we weren't in the A division, but being able to say that I, I was part of the teams that got them back up to the A division was, uh, was amazing. And it's something I, I, I take pride in. There's a bit of a cliche, I suppose, that, that winning is a habit. And maybe those years actually probably gave some of that crop of players the opportunity to to win trophies and get a little bit more used to winning, which may set them up rather than being stuck in the A division, getting whooped by the Dutch week in, week out. Um, exactly, I yeah. suppose then, then did you transition then straight from 21s into the senior squad? Because I know there is, you're obviously, <clears throat> we're quite gifted with our goalkeeping situation. And, and obviously, I think Nigel Henderson, I think you, you have to credit him with the huge work he's done over the years. Um, tough obviously for a goalkeeper we might touch on that a little bit in 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 a while um just being stuck in that position stuck is probably negative but but from there so you finished up your 21s you guys got promoted to the a division was it straight into the senior setup and trainings or how did that kind of develop then um so at at the time i was actually already in the irish setup so i was able to play a train with the seniors and then also play with the under 21. So luckily at the time, the assistant coach for the men's team was the head coach of the 21 team. And there was a great uh, crossover. So a lot of the under 21 squad would have played with the, and trained with the senior men's squad at the time. So we were almost one big group of training. So uh, like, when I finished 21s, it wasn't much of a change for me because I was already in that training environment. It just became my sole focus. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so like, it, it, and luckily I actually had my cap before I did my under 21. So I was already fully in that training squad and in that bubble and training with some great goalkeepers there. And obviously, as you say, credit to Nigel Henderson. He's able to. He's been able to create some great goalkeepers on the men's and the women's sides. So, he he got us in pretty early, and that he sees talent at a young age, and he's able to bring you in. And he he wants you training for as young as you as young as possible to like get up to speed. It, you you won't get up to international speed overnight. It takes a couple of years of training at that level to become comfortable at that level. So. 21s I just continued on training and I was able to train with some great goalkeepers obviously David Hart probably number one in the world and Dave Fitzgerald myself Jamie Carr so like it was it was a great group of goalkeepers and we pushed each other all the time and I think that's 
credit to Nidge for creating that atmosphere, but also we push each other and we're all good friends as well, which sounds weird when you're up for selection, but that's the thing is you're able to be friends, but you're able to push each other. And I think none of us will be the goalkeepers we are except for each other, you know, so that's, that's a great environment to be part of. No doubt. And, and as you said, you know, like the keepers union, it's strong. Like, where we're although we're directly in competition like you also end up being best mates and that competition <coughs> drives the other person on um and if you've got four keepers of that caliber as you just listed like you can only imagine how much of a benefit that has um even from the intensity of training so i i remember with you a little bit maybe unfocused is probably the wrong word but there was certainly a point where your mindset sort of changed and really got serious about your training and everything you might tell us a little bit about maybe what triggered that or um or how you came to that realization and then and what pushed you then to really kick on because you kind of you exploded then for for a couple of seasons coming up to now like where you've just gotten gone better and better but certainly when i first sort of knew you there was a eh, i think i think i'm focused might be the the nicest way of putting it but there was certainly a switch. I remember it happening and you changed your mindset altogether. Um, you might tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yeah, so basically pro- probably in my early college years, which is probably everybody's problem, you probably get too excited with college. But um, yeah, no, I, I, I fully agree with you. It, it was definitely a lack of focus. And I, I it might be that like as you say I came up through the ranks and I kind of fell into the senior squad and at the time I was like 19 20 like I think it was around 19 20 and like I wasn't obviously ready for to get my cap yet or that and I was kind of slowly building to that and uh yeah I kind of maybe things came a little bit too easy too early on for me and I I kind of didn't have the drive to push myself because I thought it might all just fall in my lap which was probably a te- it's a terrible attitude to have but it's it was a young young naive person's attitude and I look back on it now and I think how silly I was but I think the turning point was for me was when I actually had a bad injury and I did my knee ligament and I was out for a long long time I did my MCL pretty bad so playing for Pembroke actually back in the day I remember that and at that point I got injured and I, I came back and I probably, well, no, I wasn't in the greatest shape of my life. I was in terrible shape. And obviously that happens after being out for five, six months and not being able to train. And psychologically, the, the knee is such an important part of goalkeeping that it took me a while for my mind to get around the injury as well. Because even when I was fit to train and play again, mentally, I probably wasn't in it because you were always thinking about your knee. So I think it was just after that, I kind of had that realization of it's not going to be easy. It's going to, if you really want this, you're going to have to to pull your finger out. And it was after that, after coming back from that injury, um, I took some time out and I probably was out of the Irish squad for a couple of months. And in that time, I decided like, no, actually that that's what I want. And I want to achieve in hockey. And that time off was probably the best time I had because it allowed me to get my mind focused and decide I, I want this. And I was able to hit the gym hard, hit my rehab on my knee hard. And since then, I haven't looked back. 
what I suppose is the key then, uh, obviously you mentioned your injury and particularly something as, as that can be that catastrophic. And, you know, a, a lot of people will sort of just go, oh, well, my knees bust and I, I can't play anymore. That's it. That's the end of me. How, how important was it for you to get that back <clears throat> up and running? And, and how, how long did it take for you to get to a point where you were really confident enough in it? I probably, my, my knee took a, a while to heal, but I had an opportunity to go and play for Ireland and I tried to take it. And I might have lied at the time about my knee and how it was feeling. And in hindsight, it was the most stupid thing I could have done. And at the time, I actually went and I trained and I had re-injured it. So from a period of, I think it was three months, it turned into about five or six months because I tried to go back too soon and I didn't listen to the physios, etc. And so that was another mental knock and... I got, yeah, I just went back way too early in hindsight. And I think another two or three weeks and I would have been fine. But um, with, with the knee though, it, it, took me, it took me about a year after the injury or even after coming back, it took me to get over my knee. And I had to have it strapped up for at least a year afterwards because with the MCL, there's always, you, even though it's healed, you can kind of feel a little niggle there, although it's nothing. Uh, and as a goalkeeper, you put your knees in some awful positions at times and you need to trust your knees hundred percent. And I didn't for about a year afterwards. And it was always a fear that that would go again because it was a very painful injury that I hope I'd never have to go through again. So yeah, it, it took about a solid year for me to feel comfortable with movements on that knee again, for sure. Yeah. I think especially in this day and age where, maybe people are lacking a little bit of patience uh, in highlights like you do kind of have to stick with it and it's not an easy process but it is possible to get past but as you said um obviously knees are so important for us like we're twisting turning landing everything goes through that those knees so did you find it had a a majorly negative impact on your game or was it always game face on let's go and those 70 minutes, it still was fine. You wouldn't know it. Or were you really sort of holding on to that for the, that sort of time frame until you got to a point where you're like, yeah, okay, I'm good. It's out of my mind now. Yeah, like I, I think I, I, I put a lot of my mental uh, thoughts about it on, on my tape. So I taped my knee up every session or everything. And in my head, that got me through the session. And I think obviously the tape probably did little to nothing for it. But for me mentally, it, it gave me that kind of, that safety net and allowed me to kind of not worry about it in a game. There was a few moments in training and stuff like that where in training, you, you your mind can wander and that's when you think about it. But in games afterwards, probably once I got back and I was kind of feeling good again, I once the game started flowing, the knee didn't bother me. But obviously at training, it was always a thought and after you make a big movement, it's always an afterthought of, oh, did I stretch that too far? Did I do that? And at the end of the day, it was just a psychological thing because at the end of the day, the, the, the knee was fully healed. I had MRIs. It was all good, but it was all in my, I know there's like shadow pain, et cetera, but there was no way I was going to be able to do it again unless I made a terrible mistake again. So, uh, yeah. 
And did you have any any help on the psychological side? Because obviously, like I think goalkeepers in general are quite mentally resilient. You kind of have to be to be up to be up there. But did you get any help either through the Irish stuff or yourself that that may have um, contributed to getting over that, or was it just kind of your own sort of self of of learning how to deal with the psychological side of things? Um, well, at the time we had some great physio staff and uh, like basically. In, when, when I look, it's easy to say now when I look back on things because at the time I probably didn't take it in, but like the physio was basically informing me that like just trust in your knee, you got to start just trusting in it again. And in hindsight, I should have just trusted in it. But uh, and then it, it, the the good thing for me was with goalkeepers, the MCL is quite a common injury, unfortunately. And I was able to talk to some goalkeeper, for example, Nigel Henderson. He's done it a few times from what he told me and what he told me was literally what I was going through so it was easy to like uh to know what to expect and kind of feel that when you're able to talk to somebody who's been through it before so my my thing was I, was I just talked to somebody who has had that injury or has been through that before and has been in the same position as you and just being able to talk to them about it you you know what's going on and you know you're not that rare case of something bad it's just it's a normal part of coming back to play after a bad injury so yeah that that kind of um i guess kind of vicarious um living of learning there uh that someone has been through it can really help mentally so we're going to flash forward because i know uh that's probably only going to be interesting for some of the physios out there uh but we'll flash yeah. forward so you're you're good you're on the mend you're back back in shape um, you got some serious seasons in with Pembroke. How does then, how do you make the switch to Rotterdam? How does that come about? Um, well, it was, it, was always a, it was always a dream, I guess, to play abroad and play in Europe and on the continent somewhere because it's where the best hockey is at the end of the day. Like the Dutch league is the best league in the world for sure. And Germany and Belgium would probably are number two and three. Like, so it was always a dream that once I kind of wanted to play at a certain level, that that was just a natural progression. And I always thought that maybe, maybe not, because to get a contract out there can be quite difficult, especially if you're not from there. So I just, uh, I decided to finish out college. And once I finished my degree, I went, look, I'm going to, I'm going to give this my all. And I trained hard with Ireland. And at the time, uh, our coach, our assistant coach was uh, was Dutch and he lived over there and coached over there. And thankfully he he was able to get me some connections and it all led from there. But it, it was always like a dream of mine to actually play out there. And yeah, I'm really glad I did it. It was one of the best experiences of my life. So it was a dream come true when I was able to sign my contract for out there for sure. So Ig, you obviously, as you said, you, it was your dream to play out there. Um... But how did how did the reality live up to it? You said it was the best experience of your life, but you know it's not all Disneyland. Um, maybe tell us how did you how did you fit in, slot in to that sort of professional setup and the increased demands that maybe go with it. Yeah, like uh, in in hindsight, it was it was uh, it far exceeded my expectations. Like, uh, but it was no fairy tale, as you say. So. The first couple of weeks, if not the first two months in Holland was really, really tough from a hockey point of view. It's a very, very different way of doing things than what I would have been used to back here. So 
just the coaching styles, the playing styles, the atmosphere, the, the club environment, all that is, it was just very different and a lot more demanding uh, on and off the pitch. So luckily being involved with the Irish stuff, I was used to the heavy training load. So that wasn't really too much of a change for me. I, I really enjoyed the more training, the more intense training. And I really, really found that that, that kicked my uh, experience and uh, my being able to improve into overdrive. I think I, it was, I think I improved in one month there than what I would have improved in in Ireland because of the standard and the amount of training you do that just allows you to like fly. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just a very different environment and it took a little bit of getting used to. Tell us yeah. a little bit about, because you said this to me like during trainings and stuff, you know, obviously there's a very different Dutch mentality. And even there, you're sort of alluding to the difference in coaching style and the intensity. So if it's not if it's not the volume of training and extra training, maybe tell us a little bit about what what makes the Dutch mentality so different to Irish stuff. Um, well, I guess the, the Dutch mentality would be a lot more straight down the line. They tell you how it is, and if if you mess up, they'll let you know. And it just became a lot more high pressure because if you had a bad game. It's not that like nobody would say anything to you. You you you'd know you had a bad game, and they tell you about it. They'd write about it. They'd say it to your face. So it it was different on that point of view. And if you were struggling in training during the week, like you you'd know you were struggling, even though you might know in your head, but everybody would know. So from that point of view, but it but in on the flip side of it, it was really good because you could have a straight honest conversation about about things with people if they if you thought you had a good game and they thought you had a bad game. You could have a straight down the line conversation. There was no politics or anything like that. They just shared how they felt and you shared how you felt. And it was a very open environment for that, but it was also very different. And like us Irish people are a bit too polite at times and we wouldn't be able to tell people how it is. And it's something I look back on and I really enjoyed that if you had a good game and they told you you had a good game, they meant it. And there was no hidden meaning. And if they think you messed up on something, they tell you you messed up on something and you can move on from that. And there's no, there's no hidden shade behind the corner of whether they're talking behind your back or hidden agendas. It's very much professional that this is it and this is how it is. And, and it, it's, it's easy to know your place there as well and understand where you are and if you're performing and if you're not performing. That must lead in a little bit then to, to you know, you said you, you improve more in like a month there. Obviously, the standard of players you're training with, but being told this is the problem, deal with it, or you did this really well. Having that black and white, I suppose, although, although we might want to spare people's feelings, there are times where that sort of mentality may actually benefit a little bit. There's no malice in it. There's nothing uh, vindictive about it. It's just, nope, this was crap. Do it better. And that was good. Keep doing that. And at least you have some clarity in what you're, what you're doing. Oh yeah, for sure. Like that's, that's the thing. There was no, it, it was not a personal attack. It was that for the sake of the team and for the good of the team, this is what we want to do and we want to achieve. And for like my playing style as a goalkeeper, whether it be more aggressive and attacking as a goalie or standing still and letting them come to you. So I had to change that a little bit and, that's why the first month or two was a little difficult because 
they wanted me to play a different way than what I would have been used to. So it took a bit of adjustment and I, I learned quickly, but it obviously had a little bit of time where I was getting earfuls for not doing what they wanted me to do. And it was just my natural thought process was more of a, an Irish mentality where they wanted me to play more Dutch style, if you want to say, which is more kind of hold your line and you're not as aggressive as like typically I would have played. So I suppose if we're going to get into this a little bit more from a goalkeeper's point perspective, uh, outfielders, you can tune in for a second. Um, how much did you find that that was certainly in the early days was, you know, that sort of tussle in your brain of, you know, you've got such a good coach in Nidge and he's very much uh, a go-to. And Mar I think Martin Driver would be a similar sort of um, uh, coaching style to him. How much of that in the first while was kind of like, no, I, I'm, this is the way that, you know, Nidge has, taught me how to play or my coaches have taught me how to play and then you're filtering that with what they want to and trying to find a sort of hybrid place in the middle that works for both how much how how i suppose how did you find trying to balance those two because i know i've had my own struggles with it in the past i'm sure there'll be young goalkeepers growing up that will maybe end up in the same position yeah so like the thing is the fun the fundamentals didn't change the fundamentals of goalkeeping and the, your your technique and your all that the 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 thing that differed was your decision making and when they wanted you to close down where they wanted you to hold back a little bit so uh from the goalkeeping coach's point of view nothing really changed as in i was still to stand and save and my balance and my movement was all the same but it was more that's the decision making so they with with the Dutch being such a high quality league, if you come out and try to attack them, they're so skillful that they're able to to make a fool of you, really. Like, and I've seen that many a time, especially if you come out on the baseline slide blocking them. Ninety percent of the time, they'll try chip you up from the baseline and they'll probably score. So, it was a little bit of decision making that that I'm going to hold a little bit longer because the quality was so much better that if I made a premature decision to do something they were going to see it and capitalize on it so from the your goalkeeping perspective not much changed but from my decision making and game environment that's what needed to be changed that's a nice little segue i suppose i'd be quite remiss to ask to not ask uh like playing against some of those players like you're playing with john hertzberger you're playing with some of the best players in the world and playing against them week in week out um like what, how do you, you go from this, just from playing Irish hockey and it's just the lads and you go into this environment, you've got these guys that are essentially hockey heroes around the place. Uh, how do you go to, like, you know, they're on World Cup posters and stuff. How, how does, how, how do you find that? Uh, yeah, I find it, I find it as amazing because obviously it was what I wanted to do and it was that next step I wanted in my career. And luckily if, if something came came for me and I was, I was just really lucky to get what I got and I, I can see that now. And uh, I got to play with guys that I would have watched on TV and kind of learned off and seen that. And be, like, the thing is, they're all really just nice guys as well. So they're very welcoming. So like, as you say, you're in Hertzberger, like honestly, one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And he's very welcoming. And he, he, he I was saying a lot off him because if you, if you can save shots off him, you can save shots off anybody, I think, because like his pure quality. And that's what I learned that 
obviously I talked about my decision making and whether I make premature decisions. Uh, if I did that in, in training, he, he made a mockery of me and it led me to learn that, right, these guys have so much skill that if you do this, they will get the better of you. So being able to train with him really, really helped me and then helped me adapt into the, the playing form of how, how the Dutch league plays. That's the stuff that you really want, isn't it? Like the, the wealth of knowledge you get from some of those players um, can only accelerate and improve your game. Like even if you get zero minutes, um, you know, you're still, if you're in that environment, you're still going to take on so much. Um, so yeah, I think I, I said, I come back to it. Um, you know, you, you're playing in a, in the Irish setup, you're in a group of four goalkeepers. There's only one spot in Rotterdam. You didn't quite have it easy either. There was, there was some competition at times. Um, how, how do you grapple with that or, or how do you be at peace with that without losing the competitive edge that you need to push on? And I think maybe our younger, younger goalkeepers can probably learn a lot from this, um, because it is a, a situation that every goalkeeper has to deal with and it's kind of part of part of the gig. Yeah, it, it's obviously not the greatest position to be in, but it, it's what makes and breaks a really good goalkeeper. So every, everybody has to do their time at number two. And the most important thing is that you don't, you don't waste your time and you're able to learn off the first choice goalkeeper if it is, if you're not number one is that you learn off them and you gain experience off them. Because if if they're number one, it's probably because they're either older or they're more experienced. And the best thing you can do is tap into that experience and, and learn from them and don't waste your time and get upset for being number two. The best thing you can do is get your head down and learn as much as you can and feed off their knowledge in order to help yourself. And the great thing about it is if, if you're in a tussle you you're only going to get better and you're going to push, push push each other and that's i think part of the reason why the irish goalkeepers are so good is because there's such a good group of goalkeepers that push each other further and further and further and if you're the one and only goalkeeper there's no one to push you it's very hard to motivate you to get better so i think embrace embrace the challenge and it's only going to make you better 100% we mentioned patience before and 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 that's kind of key there will come a time where maybe you've you've outgrown your place and you're not getting your spot those things happen too um but certainly like the patience and make sure you don't waste that time I think I think you said before just don't waste that time use it as best you can because it's an opportunity um and look we'll, we'll switch tack a little bit um off the pitch obviously I know you mentioned before that you sort of you, you've worked your way through college um how have you found balancing all of that because i know we've seen plenty of sports stars over the years um saying you know how important it is to have plan b and probably c and d um how did you find uh balancing it maybe back in college and then later on with work yeah i i found i found college very hard especially in my maybe my last year in college like the the international demand kind of upped and there was a lot of trips for a lot of a lot of time away and to be honest, I found that very difficult. And but I I had the goal of going getting my degree, and like at the end of the day, hockey isn't uh, isn't going to be around forever. You have a we all have an expiry date when we're done playing, and 
I always wanted to have a degree in my back pocket that when I was done with hockey, I have a have a good good fall back on. And luckily, I I got that. And the thing was, I I wanted to go to Europe, but I wanted to go to Europe with my degree in hand and have that there, whether I use it over there or when I come back. And that's why I waited to go away until I finished. But obviously, my last year was very very hard. But I, I had a great motivation for after it. It was that I, I had a contract in Europe and I told myself I wasn't going unless I passed my exams. And between that and just my motivation, I was able to, I was able to get my exams. And I, view, I viewed hockey very much as a break from, from my, my college life. And I, I enjoyed my hockey and I enjoyed my training so much that I, I used that as my little break from study or my break from my thesis or whatever it was that I was able to do my work and then I was able to go to training and switch it off completely and really get my exercise in get my mind fresh and go back to it so it was a great balance in the end but obviously time management was very hard but uh, I'm really really glad I did it I think that's important for particularly younger younger players to, to know, especially in our sport where it's not professional, and especially here in Ireland where it's not professional. Like it is, it is a second commitment, and you have to literally split yourself in two. Um, there is no, there's not, it's not right. You can go and that be your whole job. There's only a very small number of players that get to do that, like you did out in Rotterdam. Um, it's a very very rarefied air. So realistically, if it, if it is your goal and you want to do it just be prepared it is hard and it's not like rugby where you know you can put in all that work and you get a professional contract and you're laughing for 10 years there, there isn't that really in in hockey um you really have to emphasize having both both and it's and it is hard work but it's nice i like what you said how it was kind of your break you use that as your your sort of switch off was go play hockey and you, you come back to it and at least then they're not warring. They've almost found a sort of a way to kind of be cohesive, which is, I think, a great way of looking at it. Um, so obviously you got your degree, you're, you're back home now, obviously difficult times with COVID, probably not the plan when you when you first thought about coming back. But tell me, obviously, hopefully we'll open back up. Um, you're still training with the Irish setup, but tell us maybe what, what can you see in the future for, for Mark Ingram? It's it's hard to know at the moment with COVID. There's so much uncertainty around. So obviously, I want to continue my career and use my degree, and that's why I came home. I I came home to get my career on track for when I'm done with hockey, and that's what I'm doing at the moment, working the nine to five, which is very different than my life in Rotterdam, where it was train and coffees and chill out all day. But um, no, I'm. I, I can't say for sure. Like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out anything. So I definitely want to continue doing I have more exams to do to to finish some more qualifications. So that's number one priority at the moment and continue working and getting my experience up that I can have a a career after hockey is done. So but it's it's really hard to know at the moment with COVID. It's there's so much uncertainty around the place whether hockey is going to continue whether the league's going to continue so i can only i can only guess at the moment unfortunately understandable the uncertainty is probably one of the hardest parts to deal with i suppose if you if you get on a back on a pitch in the next few months we get back next season where do you want to take pembroke to next what's the goals there well before i went to rotterdam we were in nearly every 
final going at the time and I'd love to get Pembroke back to that and I'd love to get Pembroke back to the EHL as well. So like you see old clips of the old Pembroke crew in the EHL and stuff and that's something I, I want the club to get back onto the European platform and the thing is out in Europe people know Pembroke and they know it's a good club and that's why we get so many Europe just socially and I just really want to get Pembroke back out there on the main stage and show them what what a great club it really is. As good an answer as it could be. You might even see me in some of those clips leaking a ton of goals. But, um, now, look, Iggy, uh, we'll wrap it up there. I think that's been a great chat. We'll, I'm sure there's plenty more we can talk about another day. Uh, we'll save that for a part two. But uh, thank you for your time. I think you've given some valuable insight into both goalkeeping, professional playing, um, what it takes to be an international player and even then just the balance on and off the pitch. So I want to say a big thank you uh, for being our first guest. Um, it's been a pleasure, but we'll wrap it up. Any final parting thoughts? Uh, well, thanks for having me. And uh, if there's any, if this going to any of the young kids, I'd just say that work hard and enjoy what you're doing. And if you enjoy what you're doing, it's, you'll succeed so i just just try and enjoy what you're doing and work hard love it thanks so much iggy we'll sign off there uh look out on our youtube uh and socials hopefully there'll be a few more episodes coming up soon we'll talk to you then